And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. It is Monday, March 7th. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. Good to have all of you with us. If you are here with us live, we're broadcasting to Odyssey, YouTube, and Facebook. And if you are inclined to join us on socials and you haven't yet, we're on various different social platforms. And I think our count is currently at 10, which is probably too many. We're also available, this show and the H2O podcast, both available in podcast form on a number of different platforms. So if you want to check us out there, you can. If you do listen to this as a podcast, we would appreciate a rating and a comment. And, you know, you do the little three stars, four stars, 12 stars, whatever it is that they've got up there. That would help boost the algorithms, as it were. And... Um, See, maybe if other people will find us. We've got listeners uh, popping up in Romania, Russia, Ireland, the UK. Good to have all of you with us. New Zealand, Japan. So hopefully we do something here that you like. And you keep coming back. i got to adjust my chair again. I think I'm going to have to get me a new uh, pressure pressure canister in the in the in the seat because you know sometimes sometimes we lose pressure (coughs) speaking of pressure there's a lot of it going on economically and we're going to talk about that uh with our (coughs) with our experts uh dan danford the founder and ceo of the family investment center and uh, matthew stevens independent financial advisor welcome gentlemen Good morning or afternoon. So, um, where do we start? Uh, let me let me let me start here. You can see the disclaimer here that this is just a discussion. This is not official financial advice. We have to make sure that we uh, that we understand that. But um, the first thing uh, first thing that I wanted to to touch on because this is something that has been burning up the. Um, burning up the internet this weekend and let me see if i can find it where did it go there it is crowdfunding model has been maybe broken brandon sanderson who is a, a best-selling author oh, wait i don't want to hit that best-selling author and He's he's come across he's come out with four new books that he's announced that he wrote during the time where he would have been traveling for conventions. He says, "Well, you know, I got all this downtime. I'll write four new novels in a couple of years." And now he's got them and he's put them on Kickstarter and he's over 25 million dollars on this thing with 24 days to go unbelievable and of course since he's not going the traditional model and since he's mormon 
the Twitterati have come after him, basically saying that what he's doing is terrible, unethical. How dare he? Does this kick over the the crowdfunding model? Does this prove the crowdfunding model, or does this become the exception to the rule that we should look at this one as an outlier? What do you think? Well, looking at the money, it's definitely an outlier. I was unfamiliar with him. I, I looked, Googled him after we read, uh, read about this. But I can't believe anyone else could, uh, could do this. I'm sure a lot of others are going to be trying. <laughs> so any other any idea on how much, much others have raised doing this type of thing? Well, it hasn't been this much. Uh, there have been there have been a few uh, comic book pro- projects that have that have gone over a million, and collectively, uh, you have uh, folks like Brian Polito, who's been doing this for 12, 15 years. And, you know, accumulatively, a number of different projects have have added up, but nothing on the order of twenty five million. And yes, Dave, I know Matt's volume is a little low. We're still working on it. It's something, something technical somewhere. We're we're trying to adjust. But uh, thanks very much for the heads up on that, Dan. What do you think? Is this uh, should we be looking at this as what did he do right that we can copy, or is this uh, this is a throwaway? It doesn't matter because it's never going to happen again. Oh, it'll happen again. Um, what he's done is he's capitalizing on, you know, his good name, his reputation. And um, instead of using the traditional systems, which, you know, usually involves somebody being a distributor or somebody, some company that basically um, takes a percentage of what he's doing, um, he's just going direct to his fans and people and keeping it all. Yeah. And um, it's 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 a great model for an artist, uh, whether it's a writer or a singer. It's it's kind of like a, a rock band that would just sell their music via downloads uh, without going through the traditional scenes. Uh, you know, very few people can can reach that level where they are in such demand that people will go seek them out. But if you do reach that level, there's no reason why you should have to pay a cut to everybody else. Um, I, I guess I'm kind of like Matt. This this is an outlier, but it's an outlier because of his existing fame and his existing fan base. And uh, a lot of other people could try it. Maybe we'll get there. There will be other people in other, you know, areas of the world that have that kind of fame that can capitalize on it in this way. Most people can't. Now, the other part of this, the fact that this is on Kickstarter, which has recently come under fire from the progressives because of their embrace of NFTs. How dare they? I mean, Kickstarter was Kickstarter was going to be our our last refuge, our hope for publishing all of the correct things and none of the wrong things. And now you're embracing this environmental disaster called NFTs. How dare you? course everybody else is embracing nfts at the same time so it's no surprise that kickstarter gets on board with this thing and now you've got here brandon sanderson this mormon who's capitalizing on capitalism how dare he i mean it, it just goes to show that that hard work and success is going to be vilified and attacked by all the 
all the the people who thought 1984 was an instruction manual feels like. I mean, is it is it just me? I mean, social media is blown up over this, and they're all talking about how this is a bad thing. I mean, Brandon Sanderson is clearing twenty five million dollars. I don't see why that's. I don't see how that's bad for Sanderson. It's it's kind of like. Um, you know, some new band comes along and everybody loves them until they get, you know, popular. And then when they get popular, all of a sudden they've sold out and they're making too much money. So they aren't any good anymore. Uh, that's kind of what this is about is, you know, um, some people just can't stand success and they will, you know, deride it in any form it takes. Yeah. Uh, people vote with their wallet and with you know, and with their attendance, that's basically it. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that in my mind. Robert is asking, should we sell Random House short? <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm um, a, if I'm a publisher and I'm I'm looking at this, I'm banned books, for example, or I'm Tor. I know Tor is never going to do anything like this because Tor is run by a bunch of leftist commies, but. Somebody like Bayon or Random House or Simon and Schuster, they look at this, and if I'm if I'm in charge, I sit there and I say, "Hey, there's an opportunity here," and how about we get David Weber or John Wright or or John Ringo or or Eric Flint or Kevin J. Anderson or let's let's do the next rollout of the next book on Kickstarter. We'll do like an exclusive cover for Kickstarter f funders and and do this same thing. Why why couldn't the publishers do this kind of thing? Oh, well, they will. I think I, I think they will. You think so? Um oh, it's you know, Steve King, uh, you know, who writes his stuff and you know all kinds of uh new um media opportunities come his way just because of his enormous popularity and uh you know, he's, he's able to negotiate a, a bigger royalty, too. I mean, it's across the board. And, right. uh, you know, those guys are really good at what they do. The truth is, you know, they've been doing this print-on-demand publishing for years where any of us can, you know, write a book and take it straight to Amazon and all that. But the truth of the matter is, is most of those don't sell very many books. Yeah, I think um, I've sold 12. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but the volume producers are the big houses still. Yeah. I mean, it's still that way. Is my sound better now? No, some a little bit, but okay. All right, we're well, dealing. I'll, we're uh, dealing. I'll work on it later on. Okay, we plug stuff. Uh, but you, you, Kickstarter would have a built-in fan base of people that would automatically go to it. I don't know that uh, selling it mail order, which is what, essentially what the big houses would do, would tap into those same people. Perhaps they would. Yeah. I don't know. It just it just seems like this is a new this is a paradigm shift here because after after the success of indie comics on both Kickstarter and Indiegogo, it almost seemed like this was inevitable. I mean, some people had been talking about it for a while. This is the first one we've seen where they've actually done it. And the the comics publishers Dynamite has crowdfunded variant covers for their books for a while. But n none of the big, none of the publishers, the traditional publishers, have have dipped into this pool yet. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out with 
people like Bayon and Simon and & Schuster and Random House and that sort of thing, because if this gives them another avenue to sell their books, then maybe well, this is, is this another way to stick it to Amazon even? We're not well, even gonna we're not even gonna put it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. We're just gonna sell it direct through through Kickstarter or Indiegogo and do it that way. Definitely do that. Twenty five million will capture their attention. I promise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. How many copies does that represent? Um, yeah. you know, it's one hundred and seven thousand backers, but I don't know what kind of perks he's got, and I don't know if this the tiers. Let's see here. Um. Well, they included the four books plus uh, some other kind of packages of goods and services and things. So it's a little bit more than just selling the books. But all of that stuff is ancillary to selling the books. Yeah. So you've I mean, got 25,000 who have bought the ebooks, four of them, um, 22,000 who have bought the audiobooks. And it looks like all four are in the packages. Yeah. Uh, hardcover, 27,000 who have bought the hardcover, uh, a, a hardcover and ebook together. Uh, and then 6,400 people have bought all of the different formats. And then uh, some swag boxes, audiobooks, uh, premium hardcover. And it looks like they're making a note that these are unsigned. Which kind of makes me wonder if there's a signed version that's coming. Out. <laughs> I was going to say that's a little bit more money, of yeah. course. So there's there's all of those. There's going to be hard. Uh, they might not do. Uh, it looks like here that the hardcover is going to be the only thing after this campaign is fulfilled. The premium version of this book might not be available again. So he's definitely capitalizing on scarcity <clears throat> and sitting there going, "This is a one shot." This is this is the only time you're going to get this one, which I think Probably. is smart, smart marketing. <laughs> Probably. If anything yeah. else, well, if anything else comes out, it'll be a different edition. It won't be. Yes. It won't be the That's first. True. So, uh, so he'll never have to do it again. Yeah. Well, and it'll be interesting to see how how far he gets because he's still got 24 days to go, and he's already made 25 million in a in what a week, less than a week. He announced this, I think, on March 1st. So. So we're six days in and twenty-five million dollars. Of course, the eBooks and the uh, uh, Audible—they're all hundred percent margin. So, yeah, exactly. Well, there's not even a printing cost in there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've just got—you've just got four. Somebody's got to format it for the eBook, uh, different the various different eBook formats, and then once, you're gonna—you know—you pay for pay, pay pay for production for the audio stuff, and then that's it. So. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. All right, so speaking of opportunities, we're going to get in here and talk about this next thing here because uh, we've got the uh, the AT&T Warner Media deal that looks like it's passed through, sailed through with the uh, regulators, and it looks like it's going to happen mid-April. And we have uh, a new name for the guy who's going to be running CNN in, in, in the mix of all of this stuff, who apparently has decided that they need to emphasize news, oddly enough, <clears throat> for whatever reason. I know, right? And somebody apparently got a hold of the, the memo he sent to, to employees in, internally, and news was in all capital letters. 
So expect big changes at, at CNN. But all of this, you know, going through, we had speculated about whether or not this was going to happen. It looks like it is. So Discovery, Warner Discovery is going to be a thing. And I... I just, I'm still, I'm still on the fence about this. I still think that we're conglomerating a little bit too much on stuff. But, you know, that's, that's me outside looking in. I, I don't have the, I don't have the basic, you know, I've got a very, very, very basic layman's understanding of, of finance and economics. But I don't see how this is necessarily a good thing to have so few companies owning everything. Well, that's uh, always been one of the things the government was supposed to take care of is keep a diversified ownership of media. It hasn't, even though there may be diversified owners, there's not too much diversity in viewpoints. Yeah. But uh, that happens. Uh, Chris looked, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to look a little bit into his background. I believe he was mainly in comedy most of his career. I'll, uh, I'll have to look into him a little more, but. Yeah, he, he's, it's, it's, you know, uh, Stephen Colbert, I saw, I saw that, I saw Morning Joe, and I thought, is this the guy? He might surprise us. I mean, we didn't think Michael Keaton was going to be a good Batman. Uh, you know, anybody, anybody can come up with any kind of a surprise for us, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, he was. Uh... And there's. There's no place to go but up from here. You know, this. these are the kind of, in, in the business world, I've always said, I look for opportunities where, you know, failure doesn't cost you anything, but something on the upside makes you a lot. Uh-huh. But when you go into a position like this, I mean, they're already, their viewership has dropped to nothing. I mean, they are in terrible shape. Yeah. So all the only way he can take them is up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no shame if not, if he doesn't. And there's lots to gain if he does. So you can't blame him for taking the opportunity. And uh, there's a pretty good chance he's going to make it better because you couldn't make it much worse, right? <laughs> right. I have to agree with that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and you've got Zaslav coming out saying, we're not going to be getting into a spending war with all of these other streaming services. We're going to do our own thing. And, you know, Sony's been doing that and has been rather successful at it. I mean, you look at Spider-Man No Way Home getting, you know, a billion dollar movie and they don't have a streaming channel and Universal doesn't have one either. And and Zaslav is sitting there going, our approach is going to be completely different than what everybody else is doing. We're not going to throw all of these buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets of money at our streaming channel. It's it's going to be a little bit more of a mix which is smart for me. I, I think if you put everything into streaming and then suddenly the bottom falls out like it's done with cable, what do you do then? Where do you go? And, you know, it's like it's like us. We have we have the YouTube channel, but we've also got an Odyssey channel and, and we broadcast to Facebook and we're over on Rumble because it's one of those things where we're sitting there, okay, if one of them goes away... And we use all of these to communicate with our fans and our listeners and our viewers. If that one channel goes away and it's the only one that we're using, then we're out of luck. And the streaming thing, I see the same way. If everybody is so heavily invested in streaming and they don't do anything to backstop any of the rest of their distribution model, what happens when the bottom falls out of streaming? 
So what happens when the bottom falls out of streaming? I mean, that's that. Well, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't. There are so many dual openings now with theaters, and so I mean, I I, I don't really know the answer, and they don't either. So. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that you know, I can say this is the way we're going, but two years from now. Um, I may have had to change my mind because of competitive pressures and stuff. Uh, the, the, the advantage to what you're saying, Jason, is that I don't spend a bunch of money on experimental stuff. I wait and see what turns out to be proven and then put my money into that, which makes some sense. Um, it's often, you know, in, in what they talk about in the innovation cycle, it's often the second and third guys in who make all the money. The, the, the people who create the innovation or whatever put so much money into it, they can't ever make much money off of it. Right. Yeah. So the second or third who come in as the copycats who basically turn it into money. Yeah, the proof, proof of concept costs a lot of money. It does. It does. MySpace, for example, is a good one. <laughs> well, and, and it says here, you know, this is from February 24th. Discovery hit 22 million streaming subscribers. That's the Discovery streaming service not HBO Max. So you consider more than likely when HBO when when Warner and Discovery merge there's probably just going to be do you think they're going to keep two streaming channels or do you think they'll merge it all into one? You think HBO Max and Discovery will become some Discovery Max thing and you know but it says here quarter quarter four revenue jumped 10%. So whatever they're doing they're they're steadily making money. So I don't really see why they would need to merge them. You could merge your subscriptions as some sort of package with volume pricing, but uh, really, why would you need to merge them? Yeah. I doubt that it costs that much more to for the space. Well, I, I wonder if it's part of the same kind of the same kind of thinking when you when like say when Disney bought 20th Century Fox, you have a lot of redundancy of of positions, key positions. Uh, job duplication. There are people doing the same thing on two different sides of the of the fence, and it seems like that duplication of effort is is a little bit redundant. I would think that they probably want to eliminate some of that, but from a programming side of things, you know, Discovery being a lot more documentary in in you know informational type of things. Whereas HBO Max is more entertainment, you're not going to have a whole lot of, of the, you know, Earth Day, you know, ex expose of the latest scandal or whatever history history of the history of the rocket or whatever on on HBO Max. You're going to get those on Discovery. They're completely different audiences. I don't think a and merge would work. The, I was going to say, and the technology probably doesn't cost you anything to have two different separate platforms i mean once you've paid for the technology it works you know however you set it up so uh, but the people i agree with you that that's where the duplication is typically eliminated is in the people yeah all right so let's see let me get through this where's uh where's the next thing because we've got i mean there's so much stuff um let me get your take on the Paramount Viacom thing, and then we'll go to a break because uh, a couple of weeks ago, Viacom CBS said, we're not going to be Viacom CBS anymore. Everything is now going to be Paramount Global. And we've got all of this stuff planned. We got all this Paramount Plus stuff and all this streaming and yada, yada, yada. And that includes a new Star Trek movie. 
in the Kelvin verse, the J.J. Abrams uh, created universe with Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, and all the cast is going to be back. Oh, and yes. you think so? <laughs> and then the cast goes, "We are." <laughs> this is well, you the, need to tell them first. The <laughs> first we're hearing about it. Um, okay. And so then it takes a hit. You know, Paramount loses negotiating leverage as cast is reportedly shocked by announcement. <laughs> um, from a corporate investment standpoint, when you've got a company that says we're going to have X product by X date and the people who are supposedly working on the product don't know about it, what does that generally do to consumer confidence in that company? I would think that was a huge error on their part, but <laughs> you know the public could be very forgiving. I don't know if their agents will be, yeah. <laughs> the actors' agents will be. Um, I'm sure that it'll be front and center in all negotiations from here on. Yeah. Well, and Stephen consider too that you know negotiations with Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth had fallen apart at one point, and we weren't going to get another Star Trek with that cast. Now we've got, we know we've known for a while that the the movie was in development. We've got a director for it. They're working on a screen. You know, there's a script, but there wasn't any real confirmation. There were rumors, but no confirmation that this was going to be another Kelvin Trek film. You know, some people had it that this could possibly be another story in a different part of the universe or a different time period or whatnot. It was going to be something completely different. But now it turns out it might not be. But if your principal cast is not aware that they're going to be doing this, that kind of says a little bit of something about the about marketing kind of not being in step with everybody else, maybe. How do they how do they salvage this? Do you think what's the if you were advising them on how to turn this around from an investment standpoint, what's the first thing they need to do? Assign those actors if they can. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and that would fix the problem. Yeah. Put together a great show. I mean, basically, if the show's good enough, nobody will care about any of this stuff later on. Uh, that'll fix a lot of ails. But, you know. Well, and, and you say that, and people people sit there and look at something like Star Trek Discovery or the first season of Star Trek Picard. Now, I've heard the the season premiere of, of Picard for season two, I've heard people saying it's a lot better than the first season of Picard. The first season of Picard was a mess. It was, it was just ugly. And Discovery... Same kind of thing. A lot of people sitting there saying that the you know with the proof being in the pudding, all of this pudding is spoiled. You're using you're using ingredients, but you don't know the, the you don't have the right recipe. And to your point, Dan, you sit there and say you know put on a good show, tell a good story. Uh, that's kind of subjective, though. I mean, is it is a oh, it good is. story? And it, is a good no, story it, laced with politics and, and identitarianism, or is a good show, you know, Biff Bank Pow, uh, Rick'em Rack'em Roll'em, you know, action well, adventure with very, very little deep thought? I would say that, <laughs> you know, the best show is the one that draws the most eyeballs. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you don't really know in advance, and it's surprising sometimes. And, and look how often the critics are wrong. 
look how often critics say, oh, God, this is horrible, don't we? And it turns out that this ends up being an enduring movie that people love for decades. Yeah. You know, uh, it is subjective. It's very subjective. And uh, that's why, you know, you pretty much got to trust the creative people you put together and the actors and stuff to put something together. But I promise you, if it ends up being something that people want to see, nobody's going to care about any of this drama. They no. just aren't. They're going to care about what, what shows up on the screen. Yeah, the name Star Trek will draw more people than whoever's in the cast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's really what they're paying for. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, what we're going to do is we'll take a real quick break. We will be back to talk about because there is one that's doing well in the box office now because, you know, the critics say one thing and the fans are saying something else. We'll talk about the Batman when we come back right after this. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Sci-Fi For Me Radio. The concept of flying cars is just a terrible terrible idea it is a disastrous idea people can't drive on a level flat surface let alone you know it's trust me this is one of those things where you want con to be thinking two-dimensionally the h2o podcast monday night at eight only on sci-fi for me tv Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Yeah, I couldn't find any of my ways to test it either. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, along with Dan Danford and Matt Stevens. And let's talk The Batman. Um, okay, so uh, before before we talk about the actual Robert Pattinson movie, I want to just mention that we're finding out that League of Super Pets, which has Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, playing Crypto, the Superdog, and Kevin Hart playing Ace, the Bat Hound, now has added and announced that Batman is going to be played by Keanu Reeves. This is the new animated, you know, the, the dogs the dogs talk and, and everything. And we just find this out today with the new trailer announcing that Keanu's playing, voicing the Batman. And everybody's all excited about it. But it's interesting to me that in the background of these trailers is not the current musical scores by Hans Zimmer and Alan Silvestri and and Michael Giacchino. But instead, we're hearing John Williams' Superman theme, and now we're hearing Danny Elfman's Batman theme. It's almost like, hey, we, you know, we got we to gotta get back to the 80s. We're, we're not doing any of this stuff. We're doing, I mean, it's John Williams and Danny Elfman. Smart marketing, I guess, but <laughs> it was like, Okay, this is kind of a blast from the past. Have you guys seen the the trailer yet? No, I I have not. But it, it's it's kind of fun, and 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 it actually kind of works. Keanu Reeves as Batman. I was like, okay, I can see it. I can see it. I can hear it. So, but uh, but yeah, it's it's almost like this wave of nostalgia, and we'll we'll get into that here in a minute because I wanna I wanna expand on that. But but to start with, we've got the Batman clearing I don't think one 134 million or almost 150 million this this weekend. 
and it's well on its way to being uh, probably another billion dollar movie. And people are talking about how it's it's the second best opening post pandemic. I guess behind I've read that too. But uh, it turns out that there might be a little bit of a reason for that. AMC theaters charged more for their tickets and said, oh, you want to see the Batman? It's going to cost you a little bit more. Dollar two more for Batman tickets? Is this a smart way to go? I mean, this is AMC. They're already, you know, since they got shorted and they ended up with all of this money and this this high value because of the what happened with the stocks i get are they feeling their oats so they can take some risks or is this going to backfire on them well apparently they judged correctly on this one um but look at their audience i mean their audience people want they want to see this they're going to see it period yeah. and it, it doesn't much matter it's not like they're well do you, what do you want to see this weekend it's no bat, the batman movie is coming out we're going to go see that they're not competing with oscar winners I, I would be Not interested. I would be interested to see how this played out. They haven't broken down any of the numbers as far as how much, how much of an impact that made. But how many of those were the extra tickets? I mean, IMAX already costs more. Your your special your special theaters where you you know you get food service and all that other stuff. I mean, you're already paying for some of these extras and amenities anyway. But they aren't tied to an individual show. Right. That's the difference. Is So, you know, you pay extra to go have the dinner theater, whatever they put up on the screen. And the same with times. You know, there are certain times usually where there are cheaper tickets. But this really is a little bit different. I suspect it's the way of the future. Um, I saw it. it this is a completely different area, but it's the same exact phenomenon. Um, I visited with some uh, developers that were, um, you know, developing and renting apartment complexes. And this dynamic pricing has become a huge thing mm -hmm. in their industry now, where they price each um, basically apartment every day. So if you go in and you look at this apartment, they quote your price and say, okay, this is going to be $1,000 a month. You've got 48 hours to act on that. And if you don't act on it, then they reset the price again. And they also do it. And, you know, it used to be one of the things that would happen in, in apartments and stuff is that you were at a real premium if you were an ongoing uh, renter. So, you know, if you stay after your lease expires, if you stay beyond that, you know, they were willing to give up some rental income in order for you to stay on because it was easier. They aren't like that anymore. There, and when your lease is up, they'll quote you a new price and you can decide whether to come or go. And if you go, they don't care because they're pricing it according to what they think the marketplace is. They have these dynamic models that they use. And it's really not any different than airlines have done for years. It's just this is the way that, you know, pricing is maximized, profits are maximized. And I suspect that's what we're going to see at the theaters, too. I mean, there'll probably be a, a floor. Yeah, you, well, you know, every ticket costs you at least this. Yeah. But if you want to see the hottest new movie coming out there, it's going to cost you a couple bucks more uh, a ticket. Well, and this article in Variety says exactly that. Box office analysts say incrementally increasing prices may be the new normal 
at least when it comes to big blockbusters. Theater oh operators gosh. have long wanted to test a range of ticket prices, and the ongoing pandemic became the catalyst to finally get creative. In fact, it may have begun earlier than people realize. Privately, insiders wondered why AMC announced the move with such fanfare because Regal Cinemas and Cinemark Theaters, the number two and number three chains, have already quietly jacked up prices starting with Spider-Man No Way Home last December. So this thing's already going on. Yeah. Now, for years, in the newspapers, it would say, on the big releases, there'd be a byline back when they used to advertise newspapers. No passes for this one. Yep. Oh, yep. Yeah. I remember that. I remember those. I do, too. Yeah. So that yeah. would be a, poor, a version of that. Well, and nowadays with with stuff being electronic, you know, you can buy your passes, you know, buy your tickets through things like Fandango and and other places, Adam tickets and whatnot. I mean, we even give away five five codes for people to go see the Batman. That to me would be one of those where if you've got a no passes thing, that maybe you don't get the freebies and the incentives and and that sort of thing. But but Dan, like you're talking about. This this model where, OK, we have it, it could it could go the other way. Yes, we have this big blockbuster movie. This new, you know, Thor is coming out. We're going to charge you extra. But now we also have this little 20 million dollar movie over here. We don't expect that it's going to do a whole lot, but we're going to reduce the ticket price down to the bare minimum to incentivize you to go see this one too. Oh, well that movie's really expensive and it was sold out, but but look over here. We have this we have this boutique of smaller yeah, films. Quite, I I get that and it makes some sense, but seriously, are you going to go to the theater to see the discount movie? I mean, come on. You want to see what you want to see. You yeah. don't want to see what you don't want to see and you're probably going to pay the extra bucks to see the big one and you probably aren't going to go see the other one no matter what price it was. Yeah, yeah I'd, right. I agree with that. Yeah, you're not gonna. You're talking about a couple hours investment, and you don't. You want to make sure you're gonna. Uh, now that I mean that that doesn't mean that little thing isn't uh, isn't appealing to a niche of people, but you aren't gonna change that niche of people based on whether the tickets cost ten bucks or eleven bucks. Right. I don't think. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think so either. But, but they kind of know who they're mar marketing to. I mean, the that's right. Going to see. Batman or or Star Trek, they're gonna they're gonna go. Yeah, you know. Well, and we mentioned IMAX, you know, because you know IMAX charges more. You're gonna go into an IMAX movie. They've got uh, a report here from quarter uh, fourth quarter. They've made profit in in pre you know, returns to pre pandemic form. This headline, the deadline says Good. that uh, they have finally started making money again. So you know. It, are we already used to paying a, a higher price for a premium anyway because of things like IMAX Probably. and these things? So, you know, nobody's going to look at that. Oh, I got to pay another dollar for a ticket there. It's already $30 to go to the movie. What's well, another dollar or two, right? Well, and, and if they're smart, you know, it's just like it always was with the star Wars is the great example of all the, the toys and stuff being where the marketing is. I mean, I got to tell you, we had birthdays for two of my grandkids this weekend. They were three and five, and it was a Spidey theme. Mm -hmm. And there was everything from 
pajamas to Spidey houses to everything, <laughs> you know, which is a derivative of Spider-Man, of course. Yeah. And but it's enormously popular. The the price of the tickets is almost irrelevant compared to the hundreds of dollars that people spend on the other stuff. Yeah. Uh, ear and that's not going to change. Ear one seventy three D says ticket for an APM AMC Batman is fourteen fifty. Yeah. Well, and and the um, the the tickets that we gave away, the Fandango tickets we gave away, they were valued at uh, seventeen fifty a piece. I think it was it was uh, for two with the service charge. Yeah. Probably. And so you know you have you have the extras there, but. I don't I don't know how I feel about I mean I guess it makes a certain amount of sense that if you're going to if you want to see a particular movie and you really you know demand is high you know there's only a certain number of tickets that you can sell so why not sell them at a premium I guess but it this 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 could go horribly horribly wrong in the in the wrong hands <laughs> But it's it's interesting to me because it's because you know the other big innovation of the last ten years or so is the uh, sale of alcohol at the theaters and stuff, which didn't used to happen. But now that you've got that, I mean, it you know it used to co- used to complain about the cost of a diet coke and a bag of popcorn, <laughs> but now you add a couple three drinks to it or something or other, and people are spending seventy five bucks to go to the show. I yeah. mean, seriously, the tickets and the food and the drinks and the whole thing so um you know it's not surprising that they tack on another five bucks and people don't even blink well and and it's one of those things where i sit there and think okay all of these studios are making all this money on the ticket prices the way that the way that the bookings are 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 laid out the studio gets x percentage for a certain number of weeks and then it changes and and, and right. eventually over time it favors the concession it favors the theater instead of the studio but by the time you get to that point where the breakaway, you know, the breaking point happens and the studio starts get, or, or the theater rather starts getting more, you're already several weeks in and changing right. this to this day and date model where it's only going to be in theaters for maybe 30 or 45 days to begin with. I, I guess charging more for the ticket is that is that money you think maybe the theater can keep or is that the studio coming in? Because it says here AMC decided to charge more. Yeah, no, I think they, you know, it's still the splits. The traditional is like 50-50, although there are some movies where it's 60-40 or whatever. Um, And I think that's probably what, you know, this is. Oh, that's that's digital on AMC. Okay, so that that would be be a different, okay. But I always, it's the same phenomenon to me that I hear, you know, football games and stuff, you know, people, everybody complains about the cost of a beer and everybody complains about the cost of tickets. And yet, every Sunday, there's 75,000 people in those seats, and they're all buying their beers. And, you know, it, it surprises me. It's typically the people who aren't there who complain. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think movies are a lot like that. I, you know, we can, we can stream them for 10 bucks or whatever. Or if you want to go to the theater, then you have to be prepared to pay the price of going to the theater, I guess. Yeah cost of doing business well and the studios seem to be doing pretty well except for disney um (laughs) you know sony's up paramount's up this report in hollywood reporter uh studio profit report disney dives as sony soars and paramount rises um somebody needs to practice their alliteration because paramount rises doesn't doesn't work um 
Disney dives, Sony soars, Paramount, uh, <laughs> Paramount peaks, maybe. I don't know. But um, this this article talking about how it was a rebound year, cinemas returned to business and studios pushed their production work into a higher gear in 2021. Um, Sony's film unit, 90% profit improvement. Uh, Paramount, Netflix again, all, oh, all of these, all of these studios are up, uh, except Disney. So something seems to be, something seems to be working. You know, it's, I, I guess it's the people want to get back out. We want to get back to normal and, and, and go know, see the movies. So, um, another example from my grandkids, we, uh, my, my grandkids loved a movie that came out six, seven years ago called Sing. And uh, it's an animated thing with uh, contemporary music. It's kind of fun. And Sing 2 came out six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And so all our grandkids wanted to see it. Well, one family has four kids and they were fine with us going to the theater. So we took the whole family to the theater. The other family didn't really want their kids in the theater or two there. So we brought them to our house and we streamed it. But, you know, streaming it was I think 25 or $30 for one showing basically. Yeah, Cause you got to pay the premium. It, was. so right. it wasn't cheap, but I mean, we, we took advantage of both ways of watching the movie and we probably spent a hundred bucks or so watching sing Two for the six grandkids. <laughs> now, there, there are more than one opportunity to see stuff. I mean, it's, it's, there are a lot of different ways to get it, I guess is what I'm saying. Was Batman able to be streamed this week? I uh, I think I think it is being I think it is streaming on on HBO Max. Yes, I do believe so. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's the other the other side of that coin, and I guess rolling into twenty twenty two and World War Three, we're we're not seeing any of this from distribution in Russia. I mean, all of the studios have decided we're not going to show our movies in Russia, and it's. I'm looking at all of the different things that are going on uh, as far as Russia goes. I mean, you got the oil and gas companies that have just decided to abandon about $30 billion worth of investment in infrastructure there. Uh, you've got companies that are shipping product to Russia, telling the boats to turn around. We're not going to ship what we've already sold to Russia. You've got yeah, Apple, Google, Visa, all their financial services closing closing their doors and saying... We're not, you know, you can't use Apple Pay, you can't use Google Pay, your Visa card's no good. And, you know, the banks are, you know, there's a run on the banks. The ruble is worth less than a penny right now. Hollywood is shutting everything off. The sports groups, you know, Russians aren't able to compete anywhere. The International Cat Federation has banned Russian blues from competition. <laughs> I kid you not. This actually is a news story. The International Cat Federation is even in on this blockade. <laughs> How? I just don't see that this ends well. Somebody posted here, you know, I can't believe they're bringing back all the classics of my childhood. Picard, Luke Skywalker, Ghostbusters, the Soviet Union. I mean, it really does feel like we're back in the 80s all over again, including the Cold War. And I don't know if you guys are into numerology at all. But I ran across a post, somebody had done the math, and you looked at the, the date 
the date that World War I started. And if you did, you know, day, month, year, added them up, you get 68. And you take the individual numbers and add them up, you get 32. The day that World War II started, you do the same thing. Day, month, year adds to 68, and the individual numbers adds to 32. The day Russia invaded Ukraine does the same thing. And people are like, are, are we starting World War III now? Is, is, is that where we're at? And it, it's got to have an impact on all of the financial markets because how much, how much has been invested in markets in Russia? I mean, Hollywood is kind of starting to finally do a U-turn and turn away from China. And we've got some of these Chinese markets. But it, if everybody decides that Russia is persona non grata, except the Biden administration buying oil and gas from them still. That kind of, to me, paints Russia into a corner where they don't have very, very many options financially, as well as militarily and, 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 and uh, politically. It, it, but the cat thing, the cat thing just to me seems a little over the top. It's kind of like banning a Russian salad dressing, I think. So. Right? Yeah, I'm like... Um, this war for Putin, to me, it's kind of self-financing. He knew if he goes in there, the oil, which he is still selling as much as he'd like to, uh, he probably knew it would be good for a 30 or $40 a barrel put bounce, which he's pretty much gotten. And uh, so if, if, if oil were 60 bucks a barrel, he would not be invading anybody. He'd be home trying to keep his people fed yeah well not that, not that he cares but uh. yeah that's the point and i mean that's what the rest of this is pointed at is trying to get the people of russia to rebel because they can't watch tv and they can't do the things they want to do um but i think you know as with any other dictator or authoritarian you know there's a long ways to go between i'm upset about my TV and actually overthrowing a government or anything. So no. um, uh, we'll just see how effective it is. It, it is all very unsettling. There's no question about it. Except for the price of crude oil, it should have very little impact on the rest of the world. I agree with that. Uh, Russia's economy is smaller than the state of Texas. Right. I mean, quite a bit smaller. And, yeah. But they have nuclear weapons. As far as we know, Texas does not. So Not yet. <laughs> you just as far as we as far as, far as, as we, we know yeah keely says whoever wished for the 80s to come back be careful what you wish for because it might come true i mean it, it makes me think of that chinese curse may you live in interesting times <laughs> I, I i'm not that interested here and in, in yeah. this it's just going to be a mess but it it does have me wondering uh about the bitcoin thing because the run on the banks and the ruble and everything like that there's been a lot of discussion about uh cryptocurrency as part of all of this. And I know that there are a lot of people who are into that, you know, the conspiracies about how, you know, new world order, cashless society and all of that other stuff. And it has me wondering on my most conspiratorial paranoid days. Oh, you hush. I have to wonder because the longer this thing goes, and this is just me, the longer this thing goes, the more manufactured it feels. It feels very wag the dog in some aspects of it. And 
What if, and I'm, I'm spitballing and this is a wild speculation, what if the whole purpose of this is to get more, econo- more economies dependent on cryptocurrency because we saw what they did in Canada. You know, we're going to enact this Emergencies Act, this, you know, the Terrorism Financial Act or whatever, and we're going to basically just kind of freeze everything that you've got in your banks. And of course, the banks don't have cash. It's all electronic. It's all cryptocurrency anyway. So we get people dependent on things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then we can just turn it off. And now you're dependent on the government opening up the spigot again. Am I, am, am, is that, is that a wildly off speculation or is that, or could that be possible? Well, it, it could be possible. Now they, they were only able to seize things that were in Bitcoin wallets. So they, yeah. if you have your, I, I, I mean, anything I have in Bitcoin is kind of in, in essentially a wallet, but, uh, the people that have them at home on their computer or however they're stored, uh, I think they, they weren't able to get those, and I don't know where the large numbers of those are. Yeah. So, but I do think it. Um, the one thing it does is it does kind of highlight the challenges with fiat currencies. I mean, you know, when you see the ruble drop from whatever it is by a hundred percent, that you know that that sort of makes the argument for well, maybe governments shouldn't have the money, or maybe <laughs> you shouldn't have your money in governmental um, currency. Yeah. And um, I, I think it probably will, you know, spur some people towards cryptocurrency. But I'd also say I think that was coming anyway. It may not. I mean, eventually, um, it makes sense. So um, you know, it may speed things along in a way they weren't before. I guess is what I would say. Yeah. I you know nothing that anybody can contrive. Um, is as ridiculous to ponder as just reality, <laughs> you know, the way things happen anyway. It, so, just, uh, it just feels like we're living in a Tom Clancy novel that's directed, oh, directed by Quentin Tarantino. I mean, it <laughs> just, it's just nuts how all of this stuff is playing out. And it really does feel like we're back in the 80s. You know, in, inflation's up to 88%, which is a 40-year high. Uh, you know, year, year 173, it's been a long time coming for America to be paying $4 and above for gas. They want us to get used to these prices and accept them. And and we've been here before. And, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, we were here at this same, pretty much at the same point, out, absent the pandemic part of it. But economically, I mean, unemployment and gas prices and inflation and now, you know, the specter of World War Three. I mean, how many times did we hear people complaining that Ronald Reagan was this doddering old fool who was going to push the button at any time? Right. I mean, the rhetoric is even the same. I don't know. I just I, I just I just I look at this stuff and I think, did we not learn anything from before? Apparently not. Some of us <laughs> didn't anyway. That seems clear to me. Oh, I don't know. A generation I, of voters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that's another thing, too. Generationally, you know, the approach to finance and investments and all of that is, is one thing. But also from a standpoint of appreciating history, you've got two generations that have never known the threat of the Soviet Union and the the Iron Curtain and the Berlin Wall and all of that stuff. And 
I have to wonder on every now and again, just just a random moment. I have to wonder if if maybe things maybe not better, but if we have a better appreciation for what we've got by having the Soviet Union as comparison, because we don't have that yet. I was reading an article uh, in Barry Weiss's Substack. Somebody was talking about how we've kind of gone into a third phase. You had the Cold War, you had the post-Cold War, then you had post-9-11, and now you've got this. Whatever, whatever this becomes after Russia invades Ukraine, this new Cold War, this new axis, because we're, we're likely going to get Russia, China, Iran in this new alignment of some sort, whatever that geopolitical dynamic looks like, money's going to be all over the place. Investments and finance and doing business and deciding who you're going to do business with and what markets you're going to do business in seems like everything's just kind of been upended and somebody flipped the board. Well, and, you know, we're we're talking about Russia and Russia only, but the big player is China, and we've yeah. barely mentioned that and this you know is this is a prelude to something that could happen there and uh, well and and there's well, there's saber rattling i mean she has been talking about you know he says you know he shakes his finger at the u.s he says i know what you're trying to do you're trying to build a nato equivalent over here in the pacific don't do it and and whatnot and we know that he's getting ready to invade Taiwan, and and we get a lot of product from Taiwan. There's a lot of uh, a lot of business that we do with them. We get a lot of product from China. That yeah, basically 100 percent of our antibiotics are made in China. I wonder what would have happened to our relations with China if we had decided to blockade them financially the way we're doing with Russia right now. Well, we'd be <laughs> we'd probably be the the big loser on that one for a while at least. Yeah, I would think so. All right, well. Speaking of losers, we are not losers, uh, but we have lost our time. So we're we're over our hour. So I uh, want to thank uh, Dan and Matt for being here again. Uh, where can people find you guys and and uh, garner some benefit from your expertise? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm kind of out of the loop, but uh, you can track me down on social media in, in some areas. So later on, I'll. Well, one of these days I'll get approval to actually come on and do this. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me on social media and uh, our company website, familyinvestmentcenter.com. All right. And you can find us, speaking of crypto and, and other ways that you can uh, uh, support us financially, we've got a PayPal tip jar. We've got a subscribe star. We've got to, Mr. Harvey and I have had a conversation that we're going to have a conversation about subscribe star. Uh, we've got some thoughts there. We've got a newsletter you can sign up for. There are vid various video platforms, 10 social media platforms to sign up on. Uh, you can follow us. Uh, basically, we're kind of keeping keeping ourselves from putting all our eggs in one basket, as it were. So all of you in the chat, thanks very much for being here and contributing your thoughts. If you are here in replay, you can leave a comment. As always, anybody can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And uh, suggest topics, suggest guests. Coming up this week, we are going to have a conversation about X-Men, the animated series, with the people who made it and who might be involved in the new one. So that's coming up on Wednesday. And on Thursday, we'll be having a discussion about Superman and Lois. In the meantime, we do invite you to check out all of the rest of the videos that we've got here and uh, subscribe if you haven't yet. Have your notifications turned on. <sighs> 
Start practicing your duck and cover drills, everyone. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 